Friends, it's a joy to be in the Lord's house with you this morning. Um, message from the back. If you're able to like scoot to the middles, to the middles, to the middle, uh, to leave some chairs on the side. We got some folks uh, standing in the back or don't, it's up to you. You're really gonna hate today's sermon if you didn't listen to that. Um, yeah, we're trying to make some room for folks in the back. So I think there's one chair open down here. Anybody, by yourself? Anybody lonely today? There's a chair over here. Anybody by yourself? Got some over here. Hey, uh, glad to be with you. I'm Daryl, the assistant pastor here. We have been, uh, as a congregation, walking through uh, very slowly the book of Genesis together and, uh, and really just the first 12 chapters uh, because we believe and have seen kind of throughout redemptive history that the first uh, 11 or 12 chapters of Genesis can actually tell us uh, everything we need to know about humanity. Uh, everything we need to know about God and how he interacts with his people, everything we need to know about how God's people react to him, a um, bunch of wild stories in there. Uh, we see so much about the formation of God's people. We see the promise uh, of a Messiah in there. Uh, so much of what we find are in those chapters. And so we have uh, taken this semester to share that with you. Um, and we're walking kind of at a snail's pace. And uh, last week, Elliot came and spoke to us of um, the story of Cain and Abel, where uh, the first murder in scripture occurred. Uh, and today we get to talk about the flood. So I drew that short straw that's what you get for being the assistant, Daryl, um, uh, to, uh, to discuss what does God think about evil? Uh, how does God respond uh, to sin in the world? How do uh, humans view God? Uh, all very small questions that we're going to answer uh, in the next 30 minutes. Uh, and so as we have been walking through this, chapter four, which we were in last week, ends with uh, Lamech, who was uh, lame. Not really, but he was kind of a turd. Uh, he was uh, Cain's son, um, and uh, he ends uh, chapter four as just this picture of a man who is just the most self-righteous of self-righteous and um, kind of spits in the face of God. He's, he takes multiple wives. He kind of lives uh, just like his dad Cain lived. Uh, and then chapter five, we get a genealogy, which are super fun to read, uh, of uh, Adam and Eve uh, and the line that comes from their son, Seth. So they had another son uh, after Cain and Abel uh, named Seth. And what that does is it actually sets up the good versus evil story that we see in all of scripture. Uh, so that's where that kind of comes from. Then we get to verse, or sorry, chapter six, uh, and really the next four chapters, six through nine, um, are about uh, Noah and about God's response to what he thinks of the world. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6, uh, some selected readings there, uh, and then a little bit from 7 and 8. We're certainly not going to read all four of those chapters. Uh, but let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy word this morning. The scriptures will be on the screen, uh, and if you're following along in, our, in your Bibles, will be in Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5. So let's give our attention this morning to the reading of God's holy word. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those are terrible names. <laughs> now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself, oh, sorry, where am I at? 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover the inside and outside with pitch. I'm not gonna read that. We're gonna go to 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and, shall come into the, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Are the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kinds of every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind? Two of every sort shall come in with you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up and it shall serve as food for you and for them. And Noah did this and he did all that God had commanded him. We'll skip to Genesis 7:22. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils was the breath of life had died. And then verse eight, one, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Let's pray together. Oh God, yet again, we come to a difficult passage. Uh, one that may be even familiar, Lord. I know that for my own heart, um, when familiarity does breed contempt, uh, it's easy to turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to this. Uh, but God, would you show us uh, what you intend to show us from this passage? Uh, Lord, don't let our hearts be hardened. Uh, soften them by your Holy Spirit. Uh, send your Holy Spirit just as it uh, blew away the floodwaters uh, to blow away uh, any cloud of confusion that we may have so that we may see you rightly and purely in this moment. Um, God, would you do this? Would you be so kind? In the Son of your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Uh, so we've looked at the passages, verses six through nine. Uh, we're gonna see three things really from this. We're gonna see the regression of humanity, the rainstorm from God, uh, and the remaking of the earth. So let's start with the regression of mankind. If we look in chapter six, uh, mankind has, y'all, they've really blown it. Um, what was intended to be a place, uh, the earth was intended to be a place where God is glorified and men are thriving under the smile and under the watchful eye uh, of God himself, making his name known across the globe, fulfilling uh, the cultural mandate promises that we saw uh, early on in the book to fill the earth and to multiply it, uh, to spread God's name across the earth. Um, they have not done that. Uh, they have not lived uh, up to the statutes of God. We find mankind going into business for themselves. Uh, they're self-righteous. Uh, Moses, or sorry, uh, Noah and Moses, I guess Moses, yeah, that's fine. Moses tells us uh, that they were filled with violence that God saw the earth and that it was corrupt, um, that all flesh had become corrupt. They had been seeking to build a life for themselves to where they didn't need God anymore. We make God a thing of the past. We don't need him. Autonomy was what they were looking for. Autonomy was their religion. Their hearts have been so overtaken by sin that it has infected every part of their being. Uh, and not just them, but creation as well, has all been affected by sin. Uh, this is where we get the Calvinist doctrine 
of total depravity. This is where we get this reformed understanding of what the human heart really is. Here and in numerous other passages throughout the scriptures, we see what God sees. And it's not good. Every intention, we're told, of their heart was only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. The state of the human heart, Scripture says, apart from the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit, is that your heart is just spitting out evil all the time. Like black mold in a humid house, sin has infected every nook and cranny of your heart. It's affected every nook and cranny of creation. And we know the questions we always get back from this. They're awful, terrible questions. They're terribly unoriginal. God, what, oh, Daryl, what about, what about like non-Christians do good stuff all the time? Maybe. Scripture doesn't think that. We gotta go with scripture. We can understand that there might be a couple pieces of sheetrock in your house that aren't humid with the black mold but it doesn't mean they're not infected. When we look around, when we look at everything, what we see in our hearts, when God looks at the human heart is that it's only evil all the time. This is the biblical doctrine of sin. And what we're gonna find from this passage is that God takes sin seriously and God takes evil seriously. And that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that he does so. And this biblical doctrine of sin, what we find in the Bible is that when it comes to our wills, the Bible isn't as concerned about the freedom of your will as it is the ability of your will. What we find in scripture is you could have all the free will in the universe and you would still choose the wrong thing. It's only evil all the time. So when Noah is here among this generation and Moses is writing about this, he is saying what the apostle Paul says in the New Testament, that we are slaves to sin. That in chapter seven, the things that we want to do, uh, chapter seven of Romans that is, the things that we want to do, we don't do. The things that we don't want to do, we end up doing. Like the dog that returns to its vomit in the book of Proverbs, the fool returns to his folly. The Bible was defining addiction long before AA started meeting in our basement. The Bible says this, the human heart is only evil all the time. So what do we do with this? Because that's a pretty damning thing to say. If everything is wrong with our world is a result of sin, then what do we do? We look at verse eight of chapter six. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The existence of evil is prevalent here. God hates it. God hates it. And as Elliot said last week, that's actually a good thing. It's a good thing that God hates evil because that means that evil will be destroyed. And God's going to destroy evil, but he doesn't dismiss it quietly. He doesn't destroy evil the way that I kind of want him to. Like, just take all the evil that's in Nashville and, like, send it to Goodlettsville. Like, just get it, like, up the road a little bit. Like, I just don't want it in my neighborhood. But God is saying, that's not how I deal with it. That when King Jesus comes to conquer evil, it's messy. And it's bloody. And it's difficult. There's a God whose anger burns white hot for how sin has beat up his creation. And so God 
does something about it. The earth, Moses says, is corrupt. It's been corrupted by men and judgment is coming. But Moses says, there was one man who found favor. See, Moses is speaking to the Israelites, right? They just came through the Red Sea experience. They saw water wipe away an Egyptian army. And Moses is recounting the story to them and he says, God is gonna come with this flood and it's gonna wipe everybody out. But there's one with whom he finds favor. They would have connected with this, that God, even though he's just, he is always just. He's gracious in his judgment because here's Noah. The regression of man, their backward slide away from the designed order is gonna be overcome by the first destructive rainstorm that we know about. The flood waters will rise and it will take over everything except Noah and his family. So we have the regression of mankind. So our second point this morning is gonna be the rainstorm. If we look at chapter six and seven, they go into grave detail concerning what Noah is about is, is now to do. That God is set on rebuilding. He's set on recreating. And yet he is patient. If you get a chance this week, uh, go and read the book of First Peter in the New Testament. It's a really short read. It talks a lot about Noah. And what we see in the New Testament book of First Peter is that Noah preached for 120 years with no converts. For 120 years, Noah preached that there was an opportunity for the people of earth to repent and return to the Lord. The proclamation going out from Noah of the judgment that was impending. Y'all, look, world, I'm building a boat. And you don't even know what a boat is, but I'm about to go, I'm about to go float because these judgment waters are coming. You gotta repent. And they don't. See, they're not living in ignorance. They're not living in blindness. They're living in autonomy. They heard what Noah said. They just didn't care. Don't tell me what to do, Noah. Don't tell me what to do, preacher. I heard it all the time. I heard it all the time when I was a youth pastor. I'm gonna go to college, Daryl, and yeah. I'll live it up a little bit there. I'll get the college experience, which is a way to say I'm gonna go drink. Like I'll get the college experience. I'm gonna live it up there. And then like, I'll get a job. And then when I'm like 30 and have a wife, then that's when I'll like take church seriously. And I was like, sure you will. It never happens. They're just like the folks that Noah is preaching to, but God is so patient. God is so patient with us. God wants, they, they think that God wants them to be happy. And God is saying, I want you to be holy. And from the days before the flood until this very moment, humanity has been chasing the idea that we can do this on our own. And then we come to passages like this and then we throw the blame at the passage. Well, if God was really loving, he wouldn't have done this. God can't be angry and loving at the same time we tell ourselves. One, that's wrong. You wanna talk about being angry and loving at the same time, go talk to Chad Scruggs. You could be mad as hell and you could still be loving at the same time because here's the thing, you don't get mad about things you don't love. You come and sit in my office, come sit in Elliot's office, tell us what makes you mad and we'll tell you what you love. 
We know that you can hold anger and love at the same time because we do it. But God's the only one who does it perfectly, right? God's the only one who does it rightly and justly. And so they were indifferent. The reason they weren't mad about what God had said to them through the preaching of Noah is because they didn't love God. They didn't care. God says, I will restart all of this. I'm going to restart all this through Noah, a man who was righteous. And so he told him to build a boat. He built a boat. It's up in Kentucky. You can go look at it. He built a boat. And then the rain started coming. And the rain started falling. And it was too late. God's patience had run out. His anger and his wrath were here. And it was too late for those that Noah was preaching to, to repent. And we know this all too well because we test God so much in this. And by we, I mean me. Test God's patience all the time. And then the rain starts falling. Then the flood washes everything away. The next day, there's a flood that came after them and it killed them. It ruined them. Y'all, this flood took out everything. This flood, y'all, my kid, his two years old, has a book about Noah on his bookshelf. I'm like, we gotta burn that thing. This isn't a story to read to kids. This isn't something we paint on the walls of our nurseries. Unless you wanna paint a bunch of dead bodies on there. I guess you can do that. This would have been far more like Hurricane Katrina than it is like a pretty picture of a rainbow. This destruction on a global scale alters the course of the future. And what Noah is saying to the people of his day, what we're saying to you now as friends, do not wait for the flood waters to rise before you deal with your sin. The patience of God is an evangelistic opportunity to look at your autonomy and say, you can't do this for me. Instead, I'm gonna run to Jesus. I'm gonna run to the one who is like an ark in which if I hide myself in him, I'm protected from the waters of judgment. We ask and we beg that you not let your heart be hardened as the writer of Hebrews said, see to it that you don't have a sinful and unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Instead, encourage one another as long as it is called today that you are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That you're not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let us not mistake the silence of God with the patience of God Let's not, let's, not, let's not confuse the silence of God with the absence of God. That God is always at work. While Noah was preaching to all these folks, God was at work. God is always working. It is his gift to us, y'all, that evil is eradicated. You want this. When you lay your head down at night and you think of all that's wrong with the world and the justice that you cry out for and the justice that you demand, you want evil to be eradicated. It is a gift that God is patient with us. But it's also a gift that God gets rid of evil. And it's a gift that God is patient with his enemies. Because what the New Testament says to us is that while we were once his enemy, Christ died 
for us. My friend Les Newsom says all the time that heaven is filled with those who were once God's enemy and the cries of justice, justice that lie deep in our hearts when a school gets shot up or when a family member dies, it does not fall on deaf ears. God hears it. And just as Elliot spoke last week, that the blood of Abel cries out, the martyrs in heaven are crying out for vengeance and God says, it's coming. It's coming for those who perpetrate evil on the world. It's coming for those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. The evil that is evident, the evil that can never be caught by a background check, it all has an expiration date. God says, I take it seriously. And there's one way to dodge it. What, what Moses is wanting Israel to know, what we're wanting you to know is there is a way to avoid this wrath and that's to be connected to God's chosen one. This brings us to our last point this morning, the remnant. We go way back to the kind of the early sermon series, Adam and Eve uh, have fallen. They're the only people on earth. God doesn't wipe them out. Instead, he sacrifices an animal that they would be saved it's the first time that something else dies in the place of the deserving in order to preserve a remnant for God to carry out his covenant. And when we say remnant, I'm not talking about that weird church of Brentwood. Uh, when I say remnant, we're talking about a small section of people that God has set aside for himself. So in this passage, right, he's going to take out the world except for Noah and his family because it's through them that he's going to continue his he's going to remember and keep his covenant with his people. So all throughout the Old Testament and into the New, we see this motif running throughout Scripture that God always has a people set aside for himself. It started with Noah. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see Abraham, the nation of Israel, the faithful ones among a faithless generation, having the watchful eye and the protection of God among them. See, Noah didn't find favor because God ran a background check on Noah and his like, credit score was good. Noah found favor with God because Noah found favor with God. God chose to. So I've hit Calvinism, I've hit total depravity, I've hit original sin, now I'm hitting election. We gotta empty out some chairs in here anyway, so it's fine if you hate this. Um, but here's, here's what scripture is teaching us. God loves you because he loves you. Noah was a righteous man among a faithless generation, but it didn't mean Noah was sinless. God found favor on Noah because God chose to find favor on Noah. When I was in my 20s, I thought I knew everything. I was asking my friend Zach about why he married his wife, Robin. And I said, why do you love Robin? And he said, I love Robin because I love Robin. Because if I make it about what she can do for me, that then makes our, our relationship transactional and not transformational. So I love her because I love her. And so I punched him right in his mouth. <laughs> I said, I don't like that. I don't like that answer. Because it sounds terribly non-romantic. And I think that's the point. Because when we come to scripture, we see this. God saves a remnant because God chooses to save a remnant. Go read Romans 11 if you need more about this. It is something that must absolutely be reconciled with how we view God. 
Uh, we have pastors, we have elders who would love to help you with this. I'm not one of them. But from the life of Noah and the flood account and all the rest of scripture, we see that God is always working and he's always saving a remnant for himself and he's going to change the world. So when Elijah the prophet shows up in the Old Testament and he's mad at God and he goes to question God and he says, I'm the only one in Israel who gives a rip about anything you're doing. Kill them all. Wipe them all, you sort them out, I'm done. God responds to Elijah and he says, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed a knee to Baal and that's why I don't wipe them out. Don't mistake my silence, Elijah, for my absence. I'm not going to wipe them out because there are those in Israel that love me that you don't know about. So you need to go back to them and you need to go and minister to them. And here's Noah, he preaches for 120 years. The rain comes, he loads up a bunch of animals and his family on this boat and he's riding out this storm. He doesn't know much, but what he does know is that God loves him. He doesn't know much, but he knows that he's part of this plan in which God is gonna remake the world. And then he dies before Jesus ever comes. But we get the privilege of being on this side of that story where we know that when God was silent for some 400 years between the Testaments, between the Old and the New Testament, God is silent. But then a teenage mom ends up pregnant, but she's never had sex. She's pregnant with the Holy Spirit, which is super weird. And then Jesus is born. But God was silent and now he's speaking and he doesn't just speak, he shows up. God the son comes and walks the earth and he says, there's a way that you can, you can get out of the judgment of God and it's in believing in me. Run from yourself, run from your autonomy, run from those things that you think will make you righteous and come to me and see that I am the only way out of this. That God's mission of making all things new comes through me. That Jesus comes and he says, I'm the true and the better Noah. But unlike Noah, I'm not gonna ride out this flood of judgment safe in a boat. I'm gonna stand in front of it and let it smack me in the face. I'm gonna be hung on a cross and I'm gonna let them kill me. And my blood and my water are gonna flow out. And this flood of judgment that was intended for you is now directed to me so that you might live and that you might reign with me. Because I want you to. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done. That Jesus says, come and reign with me. That God's mission of making all things new and on that day, as the song says, when free from sinning, I shall see his lovely face clothed then in blood-washed linen. I shall sing thy sovereign grace. Jesus is the one who can hold grace and mercy in one hand and justice in the other. Because Jesus is where they met. Because when God's justice poured down, it fell on Jesus and not on you. So that now when you sin, and now when we are like those whom Noah was preaching to, and we're kind of deaf to what God is up to, Jesus looks at God and says, 
I've paid for Daryl's sin. I plead the mercy for him, but I'm also pleading justice for him. As Elliot said last week, because what is just of God in that moment is to give us mercy. Because his justice has been satisfied, his wrath has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I really hate talking about how mad you get because I'm uncomfortable with it. Almost as I'm uncomfortable with how much you love me. Lord, I know that deep down I deserve that wrath. Uh, And yet you have made a way uh, through your son, Jesus. Uh, You've made that way for all of us. So Lord, uh, in these next few moments, as we sing and confess and hear the assurance of your salvation, uh, would you draw lost hearts to yourself? Would you draw wandering souls back to yourself through the work of your Holy Spirit? As I prayed earlier, just like in this passage, let the Holy Spirit blow away uh, the waters of judgment that we may feel and let us see clearly and rightly your mercy and your goodness to us uh, that we can leave here rejoicing uh, because you have loved us well. That's in your name we do pray. Amen.